covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in as we continue down the uh, the off-season path that uh, we are now in as the Brewers season has come to an end. The baseball season not over yet. The NLCS and ALCS are currently going on. NLCS, the uh, Nationals jumped out to a 2-0 lead on the St. Louis Cardinals. And the ALCS, I am uh, recording this right now in my real time. It is 8.38 p.m. on the evening of Sunday, October 13th. And uh, I keep an eye on what's going on in the ALCS after the Yankees won game number one of the series. They're playing game number two of the series. And the Yankees are leading at 2-1. So we'll see what happens by the time you are listening to this podcast. You already know exactly what happened uh, in this game. But I don't know what's happened to it quite yet. All right. But anyway, that has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about uh, on the podcast today. Our normal items to uh, take care of here at the top of the program. If you uh, want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Also, if you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, if you can subscribe and also uh, leave a ranking and review, that would be good. It helps other people find this podcast for people uh, listening, if possible. So that's uh, that would be my request of you here uh, at the top of the program. Uh, we are going to have a, it's a fun conversation. One of my favorite guys to have uh, on the show, Nicholas Zettel, former uh, editor at uh, BP Milwaukee, now kind of does his own thing. He pops up uh, here and there. Uh, you never really know where he's going to pop up. He uh, does a lot on Twitter as well. He's going to join us in uh, just a few moments. Uh, we're going to have a conversation that's really kind of focused in on the the financials of the offseason. We'll get into some other stuff as well. But uh, wanted to talk to him uh, specifically about some of the financial aspects of it, how much the Brewers might be able to expand their payroll, things like that. So uh, that conversation is going to be coming up in uh, just a few moments or so. As we do get into uh, the offseason, let me say this, by the way. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you probably know the information that I'm about to pass along. If you were listening to uh, Brewers Weekly on WTMJ on Thursday, y- you heard this sort of thing. So as much as I want you to listen to the entire podcast, I will not be offended, nor will I ever know for that matter, if you start pressing the uh, the plus button as we go through some of this information. Oh yeah, by the way, one other, uh, one other housekeeping item, a special hello to everybody listening on 540 ESPN during Doug Russell's Pod Center, which uh, is uh, always glad to uh, be able to. Uh, run this podcast. We're glad that he's able to do that. So hello to everybody listening on uh, 540. If you ever want to find this podcast on demand, you can find it at WTMJ.com. And as you might uh, figure out from the fact that I just asked people to leave ranking and reviews on Apple Podcast, Apple Podcast Stitcher, you can find us there as well. All right, so this is kind of the off-season situation for Brewers players who are under contract or with the team right now. And the, the decision that the Brewers are going to be making decisions, plural, the Brewers are going to be making going into the offseason. We'll spend some more time in a future podcast really kind of diving in on some of these names. Uh, Too many names right now to really focus in on them, and it's so early. So we'll spend some more time focusing in on which guys are going to be back, which guys are not going to be back. But just to give you kind of a general idea of what it looks like from a uh, from a free agency and arbitration standpoint for the Brewers. 
from a free agent standpoint, five players are set to be free agents. Matt Albers, Jay Jackson, Gio Gonzalez, Drew Pomerantz, and Jordan Lyles. Uh, Just some general comments on that. The one player on that list that I really, really expect to be back with the team is Jordan Lyles. I really think they're going to get a deal done with him. It just makes too much sense, and they can probably get him at a a pretty good rate. So I I think Lyles is going to be back, and the one guy on that list that I don't think is going to be back is Matt Albers. Not taking anything away from his season this past year, but it's two straight years where at some point during the season he started to fall off a bit. And I would assume that David Stearns and company is going to be trying to really improve uh, the bullpen. And I don't know if it just makes a lot of sense for Matt Albers. If he's back, that's great. And, and he, he can make the team better. But they've got a lot of things to do, so I'm not sure if Matt Albers is going to be in the Brewers' plans going forward. Jay Jackson, Gio Gonzalez, uh, Drew Pomerantz, I could see scenarios where any of those players are back. For Pomerantz, I, I compare it to Anthony Swarzak from a few years ago. Remember Swarzak came in? was just nails for the Brewers, and then he was able to turn that into that multi-year deal with the New York Mets where he got paid a ton of money. I do have to wonder how much money Pomerantz made himself with the performance that he had down the stretch of the season. And I don't see the Brewers spending a ton of money on a Drew Pomerantz for multi-years. You know, If the Mets had it to do all over again, they wouldn't have given that money to Anthony Swarzak. And that's not, a, that's not a shot at Swarzak. In fact, Swarzak has been on the trading blocks a couple times since then, and I would love to see Swarzak back with the Brewers. He was a great fit. I just think Pomerantz is going to end up making a whole lot of money, and as the Brewers are going to have a very interesting offseason, that might not fit into it. Uh, the two guys that we talk about the most is Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis. I think there are clear paths where both those guys are back. Neither of those guys are back. Either one of the two guys are back. And that's going to be, we're going to have a lot of conversation about that moving forward. We'll get into it a little bit with uh, Nicholas Zettel in our uh, social media conversation in a few minutes. But this is, um, to me, this is a really interesting situation, I don't even want to say decision, more like uh, just an interesting situation for the Brewers because I I feel like in the David Stearns era, this is really the first time that like core members of the team that are kind of guys that Stearns acquired are are, are up for free agency, especially from a position player standpoint. I know other position players have left the team in one form or another, and I'm not trying to take any shot at those guys, but it's it's hard. And again, you can tweet at me at Matt Pauley on air if you've got uh, if you're thinking of somebody that I'm leaving out. It just feels like core members of the team, guys who fit into the organization, fit into the clubhouse culture. I mean, these guys are Brewers. These guys feel like. They're supposed to be on this team and this this version and this this era of Brewers baseball, and I don't know if guys like that who have been such a big part of the team have really become available via free agency in the time that we've seen. So that's going to be um, that's going to be interesting to watch how they play that out. Stearns has already been on record; they'd love to have both guys back. For me, it's not so much like how much money that they're going to get paid for a single year or a couple years. And this probably applies more to Grandal as a catcher who's a little bit older. If he's out there on the free agent market and some team out there is going to offer him a four-year deal, give him $12, $13, 14000000 million a year, I don't know if that's an offer that the Brewers match. 
I just and I don't know if it's an offer the Brewers should match. What is Yasmani Grandal going to look like in four years? That's a question that you ask yourself. So I'm not trying to set you up for him not being back. I think there's a very legitimate chance he is back. But watching how that plays out is going to be interesting. A final potential free agent is Eric Thames, but uh, the Brewers would have to decline his option if, uh, if for him not to be back. And all indications are that they're going to uh, pick up his option. The more interesting group of players are the players who are arbitration-eligible. Brewers have 16 arbitration-eligible players. Now, it was originally 15, but Adam McAlvey uh, reported over at MLB.com, Brewers.com, that uh, Hader, with his service time this year, with the 115 days of Major League service time in addition to his two years, that uh, with the Super 2 rules, he has qualified for arbitration. We a lot of people confuse um, like just the service time for when you need to get to arbitration with Super Two. Those are two different things. Super Two basically gives a certain percentage of players who have played uh, the most amount of time of the non-arbitration eligible players a chance to be arbitration eligible. That's a really kind of dumbed down explanation of it. Um, and this year, the evidently, he's going to fall into that at the two years and 115 days of Major League Service time. So also, that that affects years of club control and everything else that goes along with Hayter. So that's a, that's a big deal from a kind of a long-term standpoint and keeping him with the Brewers, but also in a short-term standpoint, making him arbitration eligible. He is going to get a substantial, a substantial raise. He was under a million dollars this past year being under club control, and he is going to be in the millions of dollars. McAlvey, in his uh, in his story about this, noted that Corey Knable qualified as a Super 2 during the 2017-2018 season, and he went from making $538,000 to making $3.65 million. Hayter made $687,000 this past year, and he has uh, he has eight more saves, 37 more innings, and 116 more strikeouts than Knable did when he was a Super Two player. So four and a half, five million dollars somewhere in there, probably not out of the realm of possibility. I have a hard time. I don't do the arbitration projections very well. I I don't know how to. I, I don't know what to say on that, but I do know that if Knable, as, as McAlvey mentioned. It went to $3.65 million when he was Super 2 arbitration eligible, and he had less numbers than than Hader. Then Hader's going to make more than that. Plus, you know, Hader's salary was already a little bit more, the 687 versus 538. So at least $4 million, if and, and you would think very, very possibly more than that. So Josh Hader's going to get a significant pay bump going into uh, next season and clearly he will uh, and they'll try to work out a deal with him maybe they even try to buy out some arbitration years give him a long-term contract you know, generally with somebody who is as dominant as Josh Hader I don't think agents are jumping at the opportunity for somebody to buy out arbitration years because you might be costing yourself some money but on the other side of that relief pitchers and closers I mean it's it's fickle guys can fall off and I don't I don't buy into the Josh Hader fell off this past year. I know what happened in his last couple outings, including the wild card outing, but his numbers were fantastic this year. Like any 
player in baseball, you're going to have ebbs and flows, and you're going to have times where you're going strong and times where you're not going strong. And because Hader pitches at the back end of the bullpen, when things are not going well for him, it's there's more of a spotlight than say a position player who happens to be in an 0 for 12 funk or something like that. There's just there's more focus on it, and I understand that, and I'm not saying that's even a wrong thing, but we've seen relief pitchers fall off at other times in their careers. I don't think that's going to happen to Hayter, but I, the the one hope that you might have that the Brewers can come together on a multi-year contract for him now that he is arbitration eligible would maybe be just some security for him on the thought process that sometimes things do go wrong for uh, for relief pitchers. The other arbitration-eligible players, Chase Anderson, Jimmy Nelson, Ernan Perez, Corey Knable, Alex Claudio, Travis Shaw, Manny Pena, Corey Spangenberg, Zach Davies, Junior Garrett, Tyler Saladino, Orlando Arcia, Ben Gamble, Brent Suter, and Tyler Austin. MLB Trade Rumors every year puts together arbitration predictions. They're pretty good at it, too. Uh, I, I retweeted it a while back, so you can find it on my Twitter. Just go find it on, on their site, uh, MLB Trade Rumors. Of those, including Hader, of the 16 players who are arbitration eligible, they're going. I think they're going to tender contracts to almost all of them. The only players that maybe don't get tendered, uh, David Stern said he has a, you know, they have a long decision and a tough decision to make on Travis Shaw. Uh, our MLB trade rumors has him at $4.7 million for next season. I could see a scenario where they, they move on from him. I don't think they don't believe in him. I think they think that Travis Shaw is actually the guy of who he was the two years before this past season. But say they come to some sort of agreement with Mike Bustakis or feel like they're going to, can that money be spent better somewhere else? That's a question that they'll be asking themselves. I could see a scenario where they non-tender Jimmy Nelson. I, I don't know. You know they, that that has everything to do with their internal belief on who he is going to be once he is a hundred percent healthy. Who he's going to be going through a regular off season and going into spring training next year. He ended the season on a high note. I would guess that they tender him a contract, but there's no guarantee. And I think the other interesting name there would be Orlando Arcia. They clearly were not happy with the offensive production that they got from shortstop. And he has been just an up-and-down guy throughout the course of his career. So if they feel like that they can do better at the shortstop position, do they move on from him? His arbitration prediction would be $2.7 million. I would think that they would offer him a contract, if nothing else. He's got he's got value out there for with what he can do defensively. So I don't think they would just let him go for nothing. But those are the those are kind of the names that jump out at me. I would not be shocked if every single one of these guys was tendered a contract. Here's the other thing, and I think this applies to a, a Jimmy Nelson, applies to maybe a, maybe a Travis Shaw. Maybe they don't have to go to arbitration. In fact, more often than not, you don't go to arbitration with arbitration-eligible players. You're able to work out some sort of deal before then. Because arbitration is a... If you don't know how the arbitration system works, it's weird. It, it's, not, it's not good for either side. Uh, the team presents an amount of money that they want to pay a player, and the player and his representation uh, basically picks a salary that they want, and they go to a hearing... And they argue against each other. So from a team side, they argue why that player has earned that money and deserves to be paid like that. Uh, that's from the player side. From the team side, they basically argue why they don't deserve that money. So you're sitting there 
in the same room as your bosses, and they're telling you why you're, you're not worth this much money. It's not exactly a, a good situation to be in. So teams and players do everything that they can to avoid it. In fact, a lot of times you'll see the two sides present the numbers that they are going to give, and then you just find that middle ground and you're able to uh, get a deal done. But that's... Um, that's going to happen with most of these guys, if not all of these guys, uh, going to actual arbitration hearings. It seems like it's getting more and more rare. It's just it's not good for anybody involved, and it's a weird system because the 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 panel who's hearing it, they can't like choose middle ground. They have to choose one or the other. They have to side with one. They can't say, well, you're not worth all that, but you're worth more than what they're offering. We're going to give you, you know, that middle point. You can't do that. They uh, they they have to choose one side or the other, and it's just uh, it's an uncomfortable situation. So, most of these players will sign deals with the team, probably around those numbers, maybe a little bit less to to be able to stick around. Should be noted, the Brewers do have some player options on two of the uh, arbitration eligible players. They have a club option at eight eight and a half million dollars for Chase Anderson, and they also have a club option at one point eight five million dollars for Manny Pena. Both of those numbers are below what MLB trade rumors would project their arbitration total to be. So they get a little bit of a deal if they pick up the uh, club options for both those players, which you would expect them to do. All right, coming up on the program this week, we are going to join. We are going to be joined, excuse me, by uh, Nicholas Zettel former BP Milwaukee editor that's in our social media conversation which starts after the big voice guy says this. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X-Rains, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to uh, welcome back onto the program one of our uh, favorite guys. He is uh, the former editor at BP Milwaukee. Uh, You can find him doing all kinds of things on uh, Twitter these days, and you never know where else he might actually uh, pop up. Follow him on Twitter at uh, SpectiveWax. He is uh, Nick Lazettel. Nick, it's always good to talk to you. How are you? Matt, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk to you. Yeah, I always enjoy your uh, your takes on things, uh, which I, I I think you do a really good job of taking the analytical side of baseball and then combining it with kind of the, the real-life side of things, and that's why I always enjoy getting your takes on things. So I'm going to start off with this, and we'll kind of go from there. I know it's not a black-and-white issue. It's not a yes-and-no kind of answer, but I'm going to put you in this corner here for a second to get things rolling. When you look at the Brewers' season, clearly during the regular season, they did not meet the expectations they had at the beginning of the season, but they get to the postseason. Postseason run only lasts the wild card game, but they lose to the team that right now it appears will probably be representing the National League uh, in the World Series, barring uh, a St. Louis comeback from an 0-2 deficit. Overall, would you view this past year for the Brewers as a successful season or as an unsuccessful season? You know, um, that's a good question, because I think if you had asked me at the end of August versus now, I would have had a totally different answer. And uh, I think it's undoubtedly um, a successful season. And I think the main the main reason I would say so is the way the team rallied after Christian Yelich's injury was just incredible. You know, they were just kind of getting back into the playoff fight, and you thought... I think just about everyone thought, oh, this is it for the Brewers. You know, Christian Yelich led the team and was was their their biggest star. And to see him go down, 
you know, you don't think baseball is a one-person sport, but he's he can conduction for the team. And the Wade, I think that answers a lot of questions for some roles. Like you have, you know, you have Trent Grisham got a got an MLB role out of that run. Drew Pomerantz, uh, you think about extending the contract to him. So I think I think the way they played for the last thirty days of the season absolutely made up for any other question marks early on. I think this is a really interesting offseason because I think it's the first time in the David Stearns era that key core members of the team that are kind of Stearns guys are are free agents. When you look at Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis, and not trying to take anything away from you know, previous year contributors like a, a Scooter Jeanette or a Chris Carter, whoever else that they may have, you know, cut ties with. But here are two players I'm trying to think of, and maybe you you can bring somebody up and I'll go, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But it feels like this is the first time that players that are really kind of part of the fabric and of the core of the Brewers are eligible to leave. Um, and I'm talking more from a position player standpoint than a pitching standpoint. I guess we can look at some pitchers from past years. But do you, I guess, do you agree with that? And do you find it interesting to see how the team is going to handle both of those guys as a free agency? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Really, um, you, I was just looking this up actually, and uh, cause my sense was that that you know the, the team really needed these guys, and and the the weird thing is is that the offense kind of struggled throughout the year, and so you have these sort of three three key offensive players and you just have that sense that you got to hang on to them that I think give or take a few runs, depending on how you look at park factor, the the Brewers offense wasn't great overall. And so you just think losing a guy like Yasmani Grandal, losing a guy like, like the Stockers, they've kind of become even, you know, being here for only a short amount of time, they've kind of become integral parts of what's working for the offense. And so I would totally look at their, their free agency is crucial to see see what the market looks like for them, and uh, I, I would I would strongly advocate for keeping both of those guys. I feel like the, the sometimes the conversation on Twitter is: Will the Brewers do they have the money? Will they spend the money on those guys? And I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm the guy who works for the Brewers flagship station, and I'm a honk for the team. For me, the the more compelling question isn't actually. Do they have the money to spend on them? It's more, and this probably more applies to Grandal. Uh, do are they willing to go as many years as he might get somewhere else? There's rumblings out there that he has money. Grandal could potentially sign with another team for four years with an, an you know, annual average value of somewhere between twelve and fourteen million dollars. Does it make sense for the Brewers to commit that many years, that many dollars, while they could do it financially? It's a uh, and. You know, they gave multi-years to Lorenzo Cain a couple off-seasons ago, so they're definitely willing to do it. But for me, I think the more interesting question is how many years are they really willing to give and are they able to keep up with maybe some other teams out there that try to go hard at Grand All? Yeah, I think the years question is always interesting with catchers, especially when you look at um, the catcher I always have in mind is Jonathan Lucroy, right, where um, – there were a few years there where he was about as elite as you could get for a catcher. Um, and if he wasn't the best, he was close to a easily top five. And I just don't, I just don't know how to assess 
like the wear and tear, like what's actually going on with these guys' bodies once they hit 30 and catch to say, you know, I, I would definitely think that Grandal is going to be worth any contract he signs. But the four-year question, you kind of wonder, like, well, you know, if that stays and everything else breaks down a little bit behind the plate, is he going to be a good first baseman? Is he going to is he going to make the contract there? Uh, what are you going to do with catcher in case he moves? I, I mean, those are those are kind of questions from a position of luxury if you do sign him. But I think about that all the time because the sort of analytical question I've never been able to crack is what what went wrong with Jonathan Lucroy or someone mm-hmm. who like these these really good catchers where they hit they hit their thirties and then it's it's like night and day. And so that that's always something that I have in my mind. And as good as Grandal is, I still can't stop thinking about that as like, well, what makes Grandal different? Yeah, I don't know. That it's a it's a really interesting question, and it's it's trying to you you got the scale, and you're trying to weigh out this guy who is so important to the offense, and he's so important to what goes on in the clubhouse and just the organization overall. Versus what is he going to look like in four years? And yeah, there were some people who were speculating maybe in May and June that the Brewers were riding him so hard, and this was even before you know that Manny Pena concussion where he really was playing every single day, which was incredible, but even early on in the season, he was catching so often, there were people out there saying, well, the Brewers have him on a one-year deal. They don't need to save his body for, for next year because they're probably not going to have him back anyways, and it, it, how much different would it look for the Brewers and the way they play him if they've got him on multi-years where all of a sudden you do have to worry about his body for, for the next year as well. I mean, there's a lot of questions that go along with Yes Monty Grandal right now. Oh yeah, that's such a good point. And you can look at his game started and uh JT Raumuto is the only person who beat him in the National League. Then it's Grandal. But the space between Grandal and the third catcher, who is Wilson Ramos, is eleven games started. So you have hundred and twenty four games started at catcher for Grandal, and then the third most is hundred thirteen. By the fifth most, you're already down to 108. So I do think it's worth questioning how the Brewers handled him. But that said, you know, you mentioned there's an injury. And also, let's be honest, it's a contending team. And Grandal's a star player. So I I don't think he's ever going to complain about playing that much. But that that load management question is, I think, worth worth asking. But it's definitely clear that he, he worked a much tougher workload than a lot of catchers in the National League. I'm going to ask you to speculate on on David Stern's thinking, and I know that's a that's a tough thing to do, but I'm going to do it nonetheless. If the team doesn't go on the September run and they don't make it in the playoffs, you go into the off season with a really clear view of what went wrong, what needs to be fixed. Just because they went on that September run, that doesn't change what happened for the first four and a half, five months of the season, and the deficiencies that were there for 80% of the season could potentially still be there and still need to be addressed in the postseason. When Stearns goes about his offseason, do you think he focuses more on what the team looked like when the season came to an end or focuses more on what the team looked like, you know, halfway through August. I'm going to, I'm going to steal a line from the great Paul Noonan here. And I think uh, it's, it's definitely going to be that he's going to steal. He's going to think about 
um, how the team looked earlier in the year because um, Paul had this really great point that that if you look at a lot of the deficiencies that the team had this season, um, Stearns actually went out and uh, had himself a pretty good trade deadline. And I, I thought so at the time, too, that he, he made a couple of really smart gambles that you know, a lot of fans didn't like because there's no, there was no, you know, big name that came back in the trade deadline. There's no clear mover you can say, "See, there's my GM. He's going all in." But instead, he he got a couple of pitching profiles that are really nice. He made some gambles on some short-term acquisitions and said, "Hey, let's run with it." And he really didn't necessarily give up elite prospects to do so. And so, I think. I think we've already seen that Stearns has or has addressed the deficiencies of the early team. And uh, I think, I think really, frankly, he's, this, this could be the most fun offseason since he became GM mm-hmm. because he really, has, he really has the ability to do kind of whatever, whatever needs to be done for the team. You know, he can, make, he can trade away from some strengths. He can trade some, some key players to get prospects if he wants to. He can make some big free agency signings. He can pretty much have the most contrarian style offseason he wants. He can do like half rebuilding, half contending. There's there's nothing he can't do. So I, I'm really pumped to see what Stearns does. I think we both agree the state of baseball right now and the way free agency has moved so slow each of the last two years and teams unwillingness to spend money and especially teams that are not in a win now mode they aren't willing to spend money I think we both agree that's not good for baseball but it's also been good for the Brewers in the sense that Yasmani Grandal there was very low market for him so they're able to go sign him and swoop in same kind of deal with Mike Moustakis where nobody was looking for a multi-year deal would you expect that if there and nothing's changed in baseball so I, I don't know I don't know what would cause anything different from what we've seen in these last two off seasons, unless there just happens to be a higher number of teams that feel like they're close to contending. But if the, the off season looks similar to what it's looked like the last two years, would you expect more opportunities for the Brewers and for Stearns to be able to swoop in on some guys on some short-term deals, fairly significant money on a one or two year deal, but be able to get, bring those kind of guys in because of the market factors? Oh, 100%. And I think they've proven that. And moreover, um, I'm kind of waiting for Cox contracts to get their, their final season numbers like 100% solidified. But as it stands, it looks like the Brewers' capacity for payroll this year, when all was said and done, was already close to like $150 million. And that's when you include everyone. That's when you include the benefits that are paid out. That's when you include the the sort of guys that come up mid-season, the guys they've acquired, and all of that. Um, so they they have a pretty high payroll cap already, and the organization has been extremely profitable, and they have a little bit more playoff revenue. It's one game's worth, but it's, it's still a little bit more cash there. And moreover, they've simply proven that they're going to do it, that they'll go out and sign guys. And I, I would... I would be really surprised if that that changed because I think um, some folks from baseball perspectives and around Brewers or uh, around baseball Twitter have been tracking off-season statements so far, and it looks like you already have like eight teams that have basically said we're not spending for mm-hmm. next year. And frankly, that like the Brewers, 
the Brewers have an advantage if they start acting like a big market team because they they don't need to compete with a bunch of other teams that are either trying to rebuild or or shed payroll. You know, if 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 one side of the market is taking that position and you can find advantage on the other side, you got to take that other side of the position. So the Brewers are kind of in an odd spot where they might be more aggressive spenders than someone like the Boston Red Sox, which is great. There's always that group of people that feels like the Brewers are not spending enough money. I think we can all agree if a if something would have came available where it made sense and payroll had to be pushed further, I, th- I think they would have done it. I don't know how far they would have pushed it, but they were in a position where they could have spent a little bit more money, but you're not just going to go spend money to spend money if nothing's available. Where are you at with you, you know, appreciating that the Brewers have expanded payroll to levels that they've never been at before versus how much further they can push it, if that makes sense? You know, I'm always going to be outspoken that they should spend money and pay players. Like, I, I just, that's kind of where I fall in baseball right now, just because the industry as a whole is not paying players what they're worth in a lot of cases, and that there's all these labor fights. But, but that said, let's say this. If the, Brewers, if the Brewers go ahead and push their opening day payroll to about $150 million next year, and before, before, before anyone listening thinks that out, that's outrageous, that's what they did last year. Last year, they pushed the 40-man roster to $121 million by the end of the year, and they came back and spent $122 for opening day. So if the club can already hold $150 million payroll capacity... If they actually go ahead and do that, and you've got two seasons in a row where they really push the payroll by about $30 million or so, I I think it's tough to argue against that. Even if you could make the theoretical argument that everyone in baseball should be spending more, I think that'll that'll kind of show that they're really doing their best to, to spend the money they have um, on putting the best possible team on the field. It's It's kind of fun to look at baseball right now because – I think the model franchise in terms of using analytics and spending money is the Houston Astros, who I think are the best team in baseball, no matter what happens uh, here in the postseason. But you have teams like the Tampa Bay Rays who have proven you don't have to spend money. You could kind of say the Oakland A's as well in that group. The Brewers clearly are, are very good when it comes to their usage of data, but it also seems like they're at least inching closer to also being a team willing to spend money. If, if I'm comparing, and again, maybe I'm being the, uh, the the flagship station hawk again, but if I got to say, are the Brewers closer to acting like the Houston Astros or are the Brewers closer to acting like the Tampa Bay Rays, I would say you know that they're to the right of that line. They're closer to the Astros because they are willing to spend money. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, I mean, it's tough to compare anybody to the Rays. I, I absolutely adore the Rays. They're a... They're such a wild franchise because they they never seem to be doing anything that the industry is doing as a whole. So they're just they're fun to watch for that reason. And um, I, I do think the Brewers are inching closer that way, and that's great because you have the problem with baseball right now. Until they redistribute revenue evenly across teams, is that now you have these really smart teams like uh, the Dodgers and the Yankees. The Yankees might be the best organization in baseball to counter your Astros argument just because, well, they do the same thing that the Astros do as well, where 
you have these elite big market teams that also act like small market teams mm-hmm. now. You like you can go through the Yankees roster and they have they have so many, for lack of a better word, they have like so many freely acquired players. Kind of like how the Brewers did a, a few years ago when when Jesus Aguilar first broke out, when Jonathan VR broke out, those types of guys. They it's so easy to look at their stars and their payroll and say, wow, they're just a big market club. But they they're just hitting on a ton of like like bargain bargain finds for lack of a better word. And the the Yankees are just incredible. Like so they they develop their internal talent really well. And so that's that's the model where I think the Brewers it, it is good to say they're more like the Astros, more like the Yankees, because that means they're having player development success and they're having market success. And I think for the market success you look at a deal like the Yasmani Grandal deal was absolutely phenomenal. It was great the day it was signed. Um, in player development, I think they've also shown an ability to develop a bunch of guys that kind of have flaws into really, really workable MLB roles. So, yeah, I, I do like that you're comparing them more to the Astros in in that sense. Yeah, and you're right about the Yankees. I th- there's this people feel like this is the Yankees of the you know the early 2000s, the late 90s, and it's not. If you go look at their roster and go look at like you said the the bargain finds, the guys that they develop, the, there are some selected free agent signings. There are some trades that clearly uh, they've been able to make, but the Yankees have completely changed the way they go about their baseball operation and. To me, what they did, I know this is a Brewers podcast, but you brought up the Yankees, and I just want to say this real quick. To watch what they did this year and the injuries that they had, I don't know if any team had more injuries to key players than the Yankees did, and they just kept winning games. Yep, yep. And even their star players, like, uh, I'm looking at this right now, Aaron Judge, I can never even remember it, and and I'm going to have to remember it because it's a great stat. He was a 32nd pick. So it's not even like some of their huge stars, like hitting on a 32, like getting getting Aaron Judge, who's you know he's going to be better than a better than a 20 WAR player, maybe even double that, depending on how his career goes. If you're getting that type of production from pick number 32, that's incredible. That's that's a player development smash hit right there. And so, I mean, it just kind of stinks to have to compete in the league with a team like that where they. They can spend as much money as they want, and they have just an elite, elite front office. And that, that I think, is where the Brewers are getting close to, where if they really are spending about as much money as they can, and they really are pushing that payroll upwards of $150 million, that's, that's a pretty good situation. Like, it, it's never... It's, it's maybe never going to look as huge as, like, the L.A. Dodgers payroll, but you know, maybe they are getting into that class of franchise where it could start to start to dream on that in a few years. Uh, I'll finish you off with this, and hat tip goes to uh, Jim Goulart, who comes on the podcast fairly often as well, because he uh, a story regarding Dusty Baker and him being uh, interviewed by the Philadelphia Phillies, and there's a quote in there from the Phillies managing partner, John Middleton, and Middleton is quoted as saying uh, that they talked about the importance of trying to find the next Craig Council. 
And I, I found that there's there's not really a lot of you know connections between the two organizations. It's not like there's a lot of people in that front office that have been in the Brewers front office or anything. This is just. Uh, a managing partner from another Major League Baseball team who's watched what's happened and sees a first-time manager in Craig Council doing a really good job. And that just kind of struck me. And again, there's a there's always going to be that vocal minority of fans that do not like Craig Council. There's things that Council does sometimes that you know I don't 100% agree with him. I'm not going to 100% agree with any manager out there. That doesn't make them a bad manager. But sometimes I see quotes like that from that story, and I just want to kind of yell you know, from the mountaintop to for people to see that that the the respect that he has and the way people think about him, you know, around baseball, it's kind of cool to see that quote from a, another team as they're going through a managerial search. Yeah, yeah, I 100 percent agree with that because um, for ages I was kind of of the mindset that that baseball managers didn't really matter, and I kind of always thought that from a tactical standpoint, but. It's clear now that the way front office, the way front offices kind of work with their own data and then design strategies off that, you now, if you have a baseball manager that buys into the whole organizational system, and that's what Matt, that's what Council was. He's not a great baseball manager. He's a great systems person. He came from the front office. He came from, I believe, some other like executive position overseeing talent. So you essentially have another like another front office person in your dugout so he's already bought into the system of what they're doing with player development and he strikes me as someone who has incredible incredible people skills in the sense that again if you went up and down the Brewers roster you could look at every single player just about every single player except Yelich maybe and say look at flaws x y and z right like, look at a guy like Orlando Arcia. Look at a guy like Hernan Perez. Look at a guy like Jesus Aguilar. Look at a guy like uh, Brandon Woodruff. Look at a guy like Adrian Hauser. You could literally go one for one and read off all their scouting reports, and you would say, you know, this guy's got an MLB role, but maybe he's just a depth guy. Maybe he's not a true starter. Maybe he'll be in between roles. And Council kind of gets all these guys to buy in this team concept where – he gets to use them however they need to be used strategically. He gets them to like play up to their strengths and to say, you know, if you do that one thing well, do it really well. And that to me is what's incredible. Is because like yeah, the baseball decisions. You're right. You could take or leave most managers' baseball decisions. A lot of that is so minute. But to me, it's like the whole systems approach that you essentially have, and from top to bottom, the organization like a a unified a unified approach to the team and i think i think that's what's so special about the brewers in that sense in council particularly tell people uh where they can find you what you're working on i know you've got some cool off-season stuff that you're going to be doing yeah yeah so um right now i'm uh, i'm not writing for anyone officially so um i've got I've got a couple things I'm working on. I've just got a study of Brandon Woodruff since he kind of broke out in age 26 without a lot of without a lot of innings ahead of that. So I wanted to say historically, what does that profile look like in the recent seasons? So I got something on that, and there's going to be a big payroll analysis. Um, and also, um, if you really like um, the kind of the fun underlying side of the game, you can follow the hashtag. 
Bailey Pythagoras. That's B-A-I-L-Y-P-Y-T-H-A-R. Actually, I'm, I'm not even going to spell that right, so I'm not going to. I can't do it off the top of my head. But uh, here, I'll, let me. I'm going to pause you for a second. I'll spell it out because I got it in front of me, so I can just read. <laughs> Uh, D-A-I-L-Y. Yeah, there you go. D-A-I-L-Y for daily, and then Pythagoras is P-Y-T-H-A-G-O-R-A-S. You can continue on. I was going to yes. do it right. All Dang right. it. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to do a summary of uh, all the run differentials, the daily run differentials for every team in baseball, and uh, kind of do some fun underlying standings. Like, if you look at the guts of every team, how good was everybody, how how did they deviate from what you would have expected and things like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so uh, it, it might just be on Twitter. It might not be, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Always uh, appreciate your time and your insights on things, and uh, we'll catch up again uh, over the course of the offseason. Thank you so much for your time. Right on, Matt. Thanks. I always appreciate it. Nicholas Zettel joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. One more time, we'll spell out Daily Pythagoras. Uh, Daily, you know how to spell that, I think. D-A-I-L-Y. And then Pythagoras is P-Y-T-H-A-G-O-R-A-S. So even if you don't uh, follow him on Twitter, you can follow the Daily Pythagoras at the uh, the hashtag Daily Pythagoras. And uh, that's good. He's got great stuff. I love talking to, uh, love talking to Nick. He is uh, just fun to talk to. Good guy. All right, uh, as a reminder for you, we will uh, have Brewers Weekly for you on Thursday nights on WTMJ from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. I do not believe we have a show this week, though, because of uh, Bucks basketball. And then once we get into uh, the basketball season a little bit more, I have a side job or another job or a side hustle, whatever you want to call it. I am the play-by-play broadcaster for the uh, Green Bay women's basketball team, the UWGB uh, women's basketball team. And the Horizon League schedule plays a lot of Thursday night games, so I miss a few shows, but we'll still have them. I'm not sure. Last year, Greg Matzik filled in for me when uh, I had uh, shows that I missed. I don't know who it's going to be this year, but somebody will do it, and they'll do a great job, and we'll still have Brewers Weekly on those Thursdays, even if I'm not the one around to do it. Uh, That's going to do it for the program this week. Appreciate your time as always, and we look forward to talking to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Inc., the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.